Will they find a home? Sponsored by Geico. Jane doesn't mind an apartment with no elevator. Five flights of stairs is five flights of cardio. Bob is a little less enthusiastic about stairs. I hate stairs. Compromise is tough, but these two won't have to compromise when they bundle renters and car insurance with Geico. It's easy, and they could save even more. In the end, Jane and Bob found an apartment that's a four-story walk-up. And Bob? Yeah, there's a freight elevator she doesn't know about. What were you talking about? Oh, uh, nothing. Bundling without compromise at Geico.com. From the basement of the Bob and Tom Studios, it's that Josh Arnold podcast. Well, hello. It is me, that Josh Arnold, here to visit again. Oh, man, oh, man. Last week of June. July 4th coming up. Ah, I do uh, love the 4th of July. It's my favorite holiday. And uh, you know what, though? I think we'll talk about that um, after the fact. Yeah. And uh, I can tell you maybe why it's my favorite holiday, all that kind of thing. So, uh, in the meantime, uh, there's no reason to delay uh, getting to this week's guest. Uh, Boy. Just a stellar human being, and uh, I certainly am excited for this guest to be here. Uh, Guest this week, it's you! That's right, you, of course. My gosh, how are you? You look good. I hope you're feeling good as well. Uh, I am doing uh, well myself. Coming off of a terrific weekend in Lexington, Kentucky, where I did stand-up comedy for the first time in like 16 months at the wonderful Comedy Off-Broadway Comedy Club. Man, I I just love that place for so many reasons. And, uh, boy, maybe reasons one and two in no particular order. Uh, The audiences and the staff. I mean, everybody that works at that place is just wonderful, and the audiences are incredible, just nice and fun and uh, ready to enjoy themselves. And I tell you what, it was really something being out and about with large groups of people again. Um, it, it was it was really cool. And uh, I was nervous. I was nervous about uh, doing comedy after such a long hiatus and, uh, you know, shy of a few stutters and stammers here and there. I, uh, for the most part, remembered my act and... Um, Got to try out a couple new things. I did, man, a Sunday when I was driving from Lexington back home, I um, realized that there were like three new jokes that I really wanted to try, and I had for- I forgot to try them all weekend. So I will have to do that uh, the next time I'm on stage, uh, which right now won't be until October, but I am certain that more shows will fill, that the calendar will fill in uh, in the next couple months. Um, you know, with dates sooner than October. So uh, you can always, uh, it's not updated right now, but maybe by the time you're listening to this, it will be. Go to my website, which is thatjoshrunnell.com, and I will have my tour schedule up. So again, if you go right, uh, yeah, give me uh, like a day, all right? I need to remember how to log into my website and edit things in there. So (laughs) it may take me a little bit, but um and I also always post my dates on Instagram. And, uh, man, thank you so much to everybody who came out and saw me 
uh, at Comedy Off-Broadway in Lexington, Kentucky. You were wonderful. I met uh, many, many great people. Luke, it was good seeing you, and uh, I hope your jaw is uh, uh, healing up nicely. Uh, some of you may be wondering what I'm talking about. That That's between Luke and I, all right? There may have been an altercation. And... Uh, <laughs> but he is healing up, so... Uh, <laughs> and uh, so many others, man, Thomas and uh, uh, Gary and uh, so many, so many great people. Um, if I'm not mentioning your name, oh, uh, uh, Chels, um, I, 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 please do not be offended if we met and uh, you told me about how much uh, you listen and I'm not naming your name. It's not that I didn't love meeting you. I just have the memory of a fruit fly. So, uh I will try to be better at that. So anyway, great time. More shows coming up in the future. And, uh, I, boy, I, I am excited. Uh, my my interest in stand-up is, uh, and, and my love of it, alive and well. So, uh, this week's sponsor is uh, uh, also all about joy and fun and uh, uh, enjoying yourself. Oh, I'm so, so proud to have this sponsor on board this week. Toys. That's right, toys. Where would we be in the world without toys? What would we play with? Hey, I know. Watch yourself, all right? That's not this. Uh, look, I get a little salty on the big show. I try to keep the podcast a little <laughs> more family-friendly. <laughs> but yes, toys. Oh, what do you do when you're bored and you want a little bit of uh, uh, whimsy and uh, happiness in, in uh, your life? You pick up a toy, don't you? And you play with it. Man, oh, man. Remember how important toys were when you were a kid? <laughs> I mean, it's all you want. It, it was all you were focused on, really. Like, what's the next what's the next toy I can get and play with? And uh, And just watching toy commercials when you're growing up. You got a bowl of cereal there watching Saturday morning cartoons and you, man, oh man, just how awesome those toys looked. And then when you got them, like at Christmas or your birthday or whatever, just, you couldn't believe it. Oh, and adults have toys too, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, that maybe that'll be a, a sponsor for another time, the adult toy. So, uh <laughs> Anyway, uh, down here, thank you, Toys, uh, for sponsoring, and I hope uh, I hope you get to enjoy a toy or two very, very soon. Down here in the basement, I gotta admit, I gotta be honest, it's muggy, isn't it, Jason? Man, oh man, hot and uh, humid, uh, but such is a basement in the summertime. Uh, boy, even the daddy long legs are uh, wiping their brows. Is that cute? Is that a cute little image? A daddy long leg, maybe uh, pulling a handkerchief uh, <laughs> out and mopping his brow. And is it true? Is the, is the whole thing about daddy long legs true? That they're like incredibly venomous, but their mouths are too small to bite humans? Like they're, I've always heard uh, from different people, and I, but I've never bothered to look it up. And I guess I will. I guess I could have before I even brought it up, but I didn't know I was going to bring it up. So give me a break, will you? So apparently, Daddy Long Legs, um, boy, I, and I've been caught um, 
being wrong. I, I, I've been wrong so much lately <laughs> that um, I, uh, I, 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 well, okay. So what I've heard is that daddy long legs are very, very, like they're one of the, the more venomous spiders to humans, but they can't bite us. Their teeth or their fangs or whatever, they can't penetrate our skin. Their, their, their mouths are just way too small. It seems unlikely to me that, uh, but I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'll look it up, which I need to start doing. Apparently, I was, uh, I'll be honest, I am uh, occasionally wrong on this podcast, and I'm occasionally wrong on the big show, and uh, sometimes, and, and when I'm wrong, uh, it, it never bothers me to be corrected because I want to learn. But what does bother me is when the information I have was given to me by a learned person, uh, particularly somebody who is supposed to teach, like is, uh, that I feel taught me something, and then when I share that, it ends up being incorrect. That does bother me. And something happened on the morning on the Bob and Tom show recently where I was wrong because I was taught wrong, and. Uh, that's uh, I still want to be corrected. Don't get me wrong, but I just it bums me out that I was taught incorrectly. So uh, in this specific case, it was we were talking about like people being hypnotized or sleepwalking or something because I brought up the word somnambulist um, and somnambulism. Somnambulism is essentially sleepwalking, but in a way where you're sort of suggestive. So. Uh, what is, what movie is that? Is it the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Like it's this really old, sort of one of the first horror movies where I think it is that's that is what where the the uh, um, this doctor uh, Dr. Caligari has has a somnambulist to do his evil bidding for him. So it's this sort of man in a trance who goes and kills for the doctor. And I remember uh, I, I was uh, we watched that movie in. Um, college at when I was going to school in London for a semester at Regents College, and our professor, who's a, a really nice guy, he was he was this old British cinephile, and he he loved movies, and he he talked to, uh, you know it was about film appreciation or something, and he talked a lot about them. He was telling us about uh, the movie, and then mentioned somnambulism, and he said somnambulism and somnambulist and all that. That's where the word zombie comes from. So som becomes zom, and then it just becomes short. So zombie. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how cool is that? And I have been spreading that information every now and again, and I did it recently on the Bob and Tom show. And a uh, a windbag wrote in saying, well, that's not correct. And I thought, what? And uh, I looked it up, and my gosh, it isn't really correct. Now... Uh, zombie, uh, which many, which I assumed before the professor mentioned the somnambulist thing, I always assumed it was like some old, uh, maybe like tribal word from like a voodoo, like that kind of thing, like that it was uh, an old. And it turns out it kind of is. It's I think it's African in nature, and it and uh, uh, it means. Um, like snake god or something, and uh, a few other things. Now, the American zombie, the American idea of a zombie, somnambulism does kind of 
come into play in certain movies and stuff like that with with zombieism. But the word did not come from the some somnambulous some some uh, sorry somnambulism. So uh, I was wrong and I was taught wrong. And that uh, yeah. But happy to share the new info for you. Uh, boy, where how how did this start? Where was I? I don't remember. Let's just get out of here. Let's hop on board the TJA Express. That's right. The Arn Track, the world's only steam-powered monorail, takes us out, brings us back. Ah. Boy, we are a-cruising, and it feels good, doesn't it? Boy, it's hot out, but that breeze is nice, and here we are. My gosh. Vocabville, it's always a pleasure to be here. Uh, you know what though? We I, I see that we may have overshot Vocabville a little bit, and we're we're sort of in between Vocabville and learn how to speak, which <laughs> which is more of a segment and not so much a place. But uh I think you see what I'm trying to do here. I, well, you will after I explain today's word, which was sent in. It's a word that I, I was it was a it's a thing I'm familiar with, but I thought it would be a lot of fun to talk about because it's um you never really hear about it. And uh, uh, Greg wrote in saying, uh, hey, I've got a great vocab word that I thought you'd uh, like to share. He'd never heard of it before. And I only have because uh, I took linguistics classes and stuff in college. And so <laughs> uh, that's probably the only people who are kind of aware of this or maybe some computer programmers. But anyway, uh, the word itself, and it is grammar uh, related, so I am. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry, not so much grammar related as it is like exclo- uh, uh Sorry, uh, punctuation related. Um, so it kind of falls into learn how to speak or learn how to write that sort of thing. The word is interabang, interabang, which sounds like something <laughs> uh, pretty awful. It sounds like something that might happen in a uh, a James Bond porno parody. So. <laughs> The interrobang is uh, a punctuation mark. Now, it's never used, all right? Uh, but I think it should be, and I have theories as to why it isn't. Uh, it, it, what it is, is it kind of looks like a capital P with uh, the line, the stem of the P, having a dot underneath it. So, uh, and the essentially what it is, it's a it's a combination question mark and exclamation point, and it's meant to take the place of that thing we all do when we're trying to write uh, excitedly and uh, but in a in question form, like did you really see? Uh, did you really go on a date Saturday night? Question mark exclamation point that kind of thing, or who ate the last? Of the cookie cake, <laughs> question mark, exclamation point. This is meant to be one punctuation mark. That mean, that that uh, means an excited question, that sort of thing. Uh, or uh, you can't believe, disbelief. So the interrobang, man, if I remember correctly, again, I could have done a little bit more research, but I'm just going based on uh, a college class from 20 years. I think it was like introduced in the 50s or 60s, something like that. 
and um, it's it was on a few typewriters, but it never really made its way to computer keyboards. Now, look, it might be on like some models out there or whatever, but I think now if you want to use an Interabang, you have to go to, uh, I've seen them on some character palettes. Meaning, uh, like, if you go in your iPhone and you've got all those uh, emojis and uh, weird flags, well, I'm sorry, they're not, they're weird to me. They're not weird to the people who live under them, but they, <laughs> and uh, all those odd characters. In a tarot bang, maybe, and though, like, it's, uh, sometimes it's like an, in, on some kind of menu or character palette on whatever program you're using. So, the reason that it didn't take off is because it was never embraced enough to be put on uh, keyboards like every other punctuation mark essentially so um if it had been an easy th- if all you had to do was hit shift and terabang i think people would have used it a lot more it's also not the easiest thing to handwrite so uh because you kind of you essentially make the question mark and then add a little bit to the stem but not totally to the top of the curve. I know this is hard for it's it's probably hard to, but yeah, it's so it's a weird, it's a weird thing. So it's almost like a poorly constructed capital P um, with a dot underneath it. Strange, but it, in my opinion, it would look better than a question mark exclamation point. I don't like double punctuation. I don't, I don't like when, People write me and there are two exclamation points. Like they text me and there are two exclamation points after a sentence. Because first off, you just need the one. It really does the trick, all right? I know that you're excited or happy or whatever. For, uh, well, actually, first off, the exclamation point is insanely overused. But here's the problem. I think now, and actually I think there have been studies about this, that the exclamation point, if let's say you say, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you this weekend, if I don't put, if I text that without an exclamation point, people don't believe me. They don't believe it. Or they think uh, you're being sarcastic or something. Like, there have been studies on this. So now everything has an exclamation point behind it, and it's un- totally unnecessary. So, um, but, but yeah, doubling it up. Now, if you're going to get really, really excited and you feel like you have to use more than one exclamation point, for whatever reason, in my head, I have decided that three is okay, and that's it. <laughs> don't use two. Don't use four. If you're going to uh, use m- p- uh, multiple exclamation points, it has to be three. For some reason, three works for me. It doesn't. But I would prefer you to use one, and many times I prefer you not to use one at all. But uh, use three. I remember uh, reading the Amityville horror for the first time, uh, <laughs> which uh, is kind of a, a divisive horror novel. Um, fun, yes. True, probably not. And uh, therefore, less fun than you initially think it is. <laughs> At least in my opinion. But it's written in a, a very uh, almost like childish way at times where the last sentence of chapters, and it happens more than once, ends with a sentence and an exclamation point. So it'll be like, she was in the bedroom, and then she looked, and staring back at her were two red eyes, and it had an exclamation point. It's like, all right, 
there are better ways to write suspense and uh, uh, <laughs> scary things. You don't. <laughs> it just felt very uh, sophomoric to me. So, uh, yeah, but uh, it's an interesting thing, the Interabang. Um, you know, I can't recommend that you use one this week because nobody would n- really know what you're talking about. But how about this? Mention the Interabang to somebody and ask if they would be pro or again, or, or uh, anti-Interabang. I'm pro-Interabang, but that's a tall order to get society to go from the exclamation point question mark to the Interabang, I don't think it's going to happen, especially if it's not readily available on all of our keyboards. So, uh, I liked this visit. I hope you did too. I'm a nerd, so I enjoy stuff like this. Uh, let's go ahead and get this train a-rolling on and see where our next stop is. Oh, how beautiful it is outside. Look at that. Ah, uh, Yes. Japanese maples are in bloom. Uh, oh! Come on now! You're the next contestant. May not be Mr. Right, but he is certainly Mr. Smooth. We. That was a while ago, though. Was it? <laughs> Televilla. That's where we are. Televilla. That's right. Where we discuss some of our favorite television shows. Uh, and uh, this is one that I've been watching for the last, oh, I don't know. I think I started it in the winter sometime. And uh, it's it has uh, many, many seasons. And I'm on season, um, oh boy, what am I, on season seven now, I think? And I'm not a big binger. If I get into a show, I typically, um, if it's like a, a show that's been around for years, I'll watch an episode or two um, a day, that kind of thing. Uh, I can't sit down and watch eight hours worth or whatever. I'm just not, I'd rather, I've got other things I'd also like to do. So, uh, but when it's a show like Mayor of Easttown or something like that, that only has seven episodes. Yeah, I think that took me two days. I went ahead and watched four and then I watched three the next day. So, but this one, it's a very popular show. And I came to the party way late because I kind of assumed, yeah, you know, I I assumed that it was like every other television uh, police procedural that, uh, well, quite frankly, that old people enjoy. I remember I mean, my grandma would have loved this show. Um, I remember watching a lot of uh, police procedurals with her. And uh, when I was a kid, I'd be staying over there, uh, you know, at times. And, uh, yeah, I used to think, yeah, why don't she like these boring cop shows? Um, but I kind of grew to like them, too. Now I love them. And this is one that I now love. And I bet many of you watch it. Some of you are going to scoff at me a little bit, but that's okay. It's not for everybody because it is your run of the, it is kind of your run of the mill uh, police procedural uh, you know main network show Blue Bloods is what I'm talking about you know it the one with Tom Selleck and his mustache and Donnie Wahlberg and uh, some other really really fine actors I am enjoying the heck out of Blue Bloods it's um, you know, it's nothing like uh, some of your deeper uh, police or detective shows. And it can be formulaic and it can be unrealistic, but it's really entertaining. And, I'll, and one of my favorite things about it is it stays topical 
But uh, every time um, that they they address something sort of uh, topical, they always share different viewpoints. So if you watch a lot of Law and Order, particularly later seasons of Law and Order SVU, they have gotten fairly preachy where like everyone <laughs> if there's like a, a topical thing or whatever they you can tell uh where the writers and even actors and producers stand politically on that issue because almost every character uh is like a mouthpiece for the behind you can just tell that it's the behind the scenes people who are actually speaking it's not always the characters with blue bloods they will uh, show a situation, and then through something which I think is really nice, the characters in the show, it's about a family of uh, law enforcement, essentially. Tom Selleck uh, plays the uh, police chief of New York City, of Manhattan, and um, his dad was also uh, chief of police and is now retired, and uh, his... His Tom Selleck's sons are both cops. One is a beat cop, the other is a detective. And then his daughter is an ADA, so she works on the law side of it. Um, the, the, I guess the legal side of it, I should say. And uh, they address issues. So what they do is every episode, they have, they have dinner every Sunday together as a family. Um, and every episode shows par- a part of that dinner, and they discuss something that's, you know, one of the situations that, a police officer in the family is dealing with or something like that. So, for instance, they'll say, uh, hey, uh, this guy um, uh, accidentally, or this this guy was being charged by, a suspect was charging him and he, had, he was holding a knife and the police officer shot him. Should the police officer have shot that man or because his hands were raised, that kind of thing, or should he not have shot him even though he was holding a knife. It's it, it, complicated, real-world scenarios. But the thing about it is when they discuss it at dinner and they're discussing, everyone has kind of a different viewpoint. Now, there might be two or three characters that agree on something, but they really look at all sides of a situation. And I think you guys know me well enough to know that I love uh, trying to look at a topic at all sides. Um, I think it's important. I think... I think it's uh, totally necessary. I think it's vital that when you are uh, watching the news or you're talking to somebody that you always try to hear the other person's side and and really try to respect where they're coming from. I, I think it's a lost, um, you know, it, it, it's something that just doesn't happen that much anymore. And I think this show is very thoughtful. And I mean that in the uh, most base, the most simplest terms of that word. It's thought-provoking. They put a lot of thought into uh, different uh, sides of arguments, and they put them all out there so that the viewer can decide for themselves. I really, really love that aspect of Blue Bloods. Now, uh, you could say, well, Tom Selleck being uh, essentially the lead and and charming as hell and likable and all that stuff, um, what he thinks, an audience may tend to walk away with his opinion because he is sort of the main figure of the show. Uh, 
not always. So I, I can see where you're, if you were to say that, where you'd be coming from, but I don't think that's what they're trying to do. They're not trying to force anybody's agenda uh, on an audience. They're really trying to present all sides, and it's it's really cool. It's also highly entertaining. It's uh, really good. They some good humor in there. Some uh, really warm people that you like being around, and uh, you know it gets pretty emotional at times and suspenseful at others, and um, it's good stuff. So uh, Blue Bloods, I just wanted to let you guys know I really, really dig dig that show, and uh, I'm working on a Tom Selleck impression um, of of uh, him in Blue Bloods, but I couldn't ever do it anywhere. It's not his voice. It's not him talking. But in like every episode, <laughs> he uh, does what I call mustache acting. So like his mustache is actually quite uh, emotive. So when he is uh, really pondering an issue or thinking about something or worried, he often stares out the window of his uh, high high office at 1PP and uh, is uh, uh, he, he like uh, kind of purses his lips and his re- he really lets his mustache do the talking. And I've nailed that impression, but I just can't. I, there's, it, I mean, where the hell am I going to do it? So, <laughs> so maybe check that out. And if you do watch it, I hope you enjoy it. If you hate it, hey, that's all right. Plenty of other things on. And uh, let's go ahead. And uh, as the monorail is taking us back to the basement, uh, a question. Let's let's uh, look at a question that uh, somebody has written in with. Uh oh boy oh boy Andy he says he uh he got to see <laughs> this uh silly little movie I was in um that I can't recommend for everybody if you like uh R-rated silliness and uh a lot of nudity then you can check out Space Babes from Outer Space that's right it's a parody of sort of those late night Cinemax movies that kind of thing and it's fun uh, some friends of, of mine made it and, uh, they asked me to uh, play a small role in it and I did. And, um, uh, <laughs> it's filthy and, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's childish and, but, but fun. Yeah. So if you like that kind of thing, check out space babes from outer space, you'll have to Google it. I don't, I don't remember exactly where it's available right now, but, um, Andy had a really good question. Oh, you know what? He also said he's looking for another movie I was in called The Impersonators. You know, I just found a box of Blu-rays. I've got like 50 copies of The Impersonators, um, signed copies or whatever. If you're interested in one of these, and Andy, you say you are, send me a message um, saying you'd like one. They're 20 bucks, I'll, and, and we can like, I can... I'll just send them to you or whatever, and uh, you can Venmo me or something. I don't have them on my website or anything. So if you are interested, we'll work it out. Uh, What else? Um, Oh, here's the question. Okay. Andy says, as someone who has had weight issues, oh, that's uh, for the bulk of his comedy career. Okay, that's me. How pressured do you feel, if at all, to maintain the physical side of your comedy persona? Obviously, you're funny regardless of size, but self-deprecation and continued needling from your co-workers, Cough Griswold, are fun elements uh, in your realm. I've no... Uh, let's see. Is, is, is... As you... Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's essentially asking, 
am I afraid to lose weight because it'll make me less funny? Uh, I, 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 that's a that's kind of a gross uh, paraphrasing of what he's he's asking there. Do I think it will alter? Am I afraid to lose weight because it'll alter my persona? Yes, yes. Now it's uh, not a strong fear. It's not something that um, worries me a lot. But there is a little bit of fear there. Uh, for anybody who knows a little bit about uh, comedy and comedians and how they operate and and what the job t- uh, requires and stuff like that, um, you'll know, and if not, you're going to learn right now, that writing material for a comedian is a, uh, it's a long process. So when you watch, let's say, a comedian on uh, a late night talk show and they do six or seven minutes of stand-up, uh, it has taken them a very, very long time to develop that material and to perfect it and to get it ready for uh, that show or you know stage, whatever. Uh, it one does not write a joke, and uh, rarely do you write a joke, and it's like it's done. <laughs> so you're always uh, honing it and rewriting and cutting and adding and and everything. So. Uh, I have uh, probably, over the years, I have about, I'd say at least 10 minutes out of a 50-minute set um, that is about me being overweight. And it might even be a little bit more than 10 minutes, actually. And those bits tend to work. uh, They tend to get a lot of laughs. So if all of a sudden, well, if over uh, a a half a year or a year whatever, I drop – 60, 70 pounds, I lose that 10 minutes of material because nobody, I think, nobody wants to watch a person in shape talk about, uh, do a bunch of fat jokes. <laughs> I mean, what am I going to do? Go, yeah, when I was overweight. I mean, I guess it could, it, there's a chance it would work, but it's just not going to work as well. Something, there's going to be something weird about it. Um, at least I'm assuming, you know, so. Uh, so, yes, there is that fear of, man, I'm going to lose some good jokes and I'm going to lose some time. Uh, but that said, uh, I can always fill in that 10 or 15 minutes with new material, you know, uh, which is what a comedian should be doing anyway. Uh, moving some things out of their set and putting new things in and uh, keeping it, uh, you know, having some nice turnover in in your act. Um, there is something to be said for. The persona, though, as well. Um, and that's also something that I have to kind of consider in just real life, off stage and off the air, of is it going to change who I am in the eyes of my friends, family, stuff like that? What's going to change? So I think that's why losing weight is more than just about diet and exercise. There are real psychological and emotional uh, things going on as well. Um, it's probably hard for somebody who's never been overweight to understand. Because, well, no, you just eat less and you work out and you uh, eat better. And uh, what 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 could there mentally be? You're just gonna you're gonna feel great, and uh, you're not you know you'll be less self conscious. So it's all it's all positive. Uh, yeah, but there's there's usually some underlying thing as well. So. Um, that needs to be addressed at the same time. And I can do that. I've got plenty of friends and family. I, I, I see a therapist, so 
uh, yes, I, I mean, addressing those things while doing, you know, dieting and exercise and stuff like that will absolutely help. I that's I think that's why a lot of people who go on like uh, The Biggest Loser and stuff, you'll uh, later read, you know, six months or a year down the line, it's like, well, they gained all their weight back. Well, of course. I, I, I never watched that show, so I, I, I may be wrong here, but I don't think, I'm assuming they didn't do enough to prepare that person psychologically and emotionally for going from 500 pounds to 180 pounds and how, how, what a change that is. That, I mean, and what that did for their persona, how they were seen, how they were treated, all that stuff. Uh, there's a lot going on there. So do I have that fear? Yes. Is it going to keep me from getting into better shape? You know, to a certain extent it has, but uh, for me, it's a pretty small percentage of the uh, of the whole um, pie. Oh, I see what you did there, Josh. That's not what I was doing. But it's a, um, uh, for me, I think it's something else. Uh, not as, uh, Not so much fear as, well, I don't know. Maybe it may there. That's something for me to address uh, <laughs> every uh, other Monday at 11 a.m. So, uh, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, great question. That's a very, uh, very. That's a very good and astute question and a thoughtful one. So, uh, thank you for that. I, um, what I, how here actually the long and short of it is. Uh, do I worry about losing my 10 to 15 minutes of fat jokes, self-deprecating fat jokes? I do. Do I think that I could gain 10 to 15 minutes of jokes about dieting and working out and being a new person and getting in better shape? And so, Yes. So uh, I do have faith that I can come up with some equally funny stuff. Uh, so, uh, you know. Yeah, I guess that's the answer. Thank you for that question, uh, um, Andy. And uh, oh my gosh, you're also known as uh, Interred Ferguson. Yes, I, I I've seen your Instagrams and stuff. And uh, yeah, okay. Thank you very much for for writing. Um, okay, that was the question. Where did we leave off last week? I'm sure I was blabbing on about uh, my time with Rawlings. And um, I, I, I think when we last, last uh, stopped chatting about it, I was on the road in a gigantic moving truck, uh, a manual moving truck that had a governor on it at 55, set at 55 miles per hour. So I was slowly my, making my way uh, around the country with uh, boxes and boxes and boxes of uh, Gardetto snack mix. And Wheaties Energy Crunch. Well, as you, if you remember, uh, my coworker Mike and I were assigned to hand out these samples at uh, most of the Major League Baseball stadiums in the country. But my uh, immediate supervisor and uh, a higher up at uh, Rawlings did not attain permission from these uh, stadiums. And when we tried to, uh, Mike and I, we were often met with, no what, no way in hell can you do that. Um, or we just never got our uh, phone calls returned or, any, or emails returned or anything like that. But they sent us out anyway. So here's what started happening. We would arrive 
<laughs> at a Major League Baseball stadium with this branded Rawlings Suburban, meaning it was wrapped in graphics that said Rawlings all over it and had some Major League players on it and all this stuff, and a gigantic moving truck. Now, this was in the summer of uh, 2000, so this was pre-9-11, which is important because... Um, I, I apologize. I apologize. This was the summer of 2001. Um, and so uh, in May, June, July of 2001, we were able to pull up with a gigantic moving truck and not really raise any red flags. Um, whereas post 9-11, of course, I mean, look, everything, uh, and rightfully so, became pretty locked down. Uh, and uh, you had to... I mean, boy, you you just couldn't show up with a giant truck and park it next to a stadium. I mean, that it was nuts. Uh, and by nuts, I mean no. You, you shouldn't. We shouldn't have been able to do that before nine. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, we would pull up and get out. Uh, uh, the the uh, we would stand by the suburban and break out some of the uh, boxes of samples and start handing them out. Well, people would take them, of course. Why not have some free samples, especially of something that people like? And they would take uh, bags. Now, we <laughs> we were told one bag and one tiny box of Wheaties Energy Crunch per person, which makes sense. But that is not what ended up happening later on in the summer because so many times we would be we would show up at these stadiums and without permission – as we were directed to do by my bosses, without permission, start handing these things out, and we would be chased away by the folks who work at the stadium, and they would get, they would be really upset, and rightfully so. Who the hell? What is this about? That kind of thing. So we would end up only being able to pass out like maybe I'll put it in time increments, like for five minutes or ten minutes. Before somebody from the stadium would walk out and go, what the hell are you guys doing? Oh, we're with Rawlings and we're doing this co-op with General Mills. Who? What? You can't do this. And I remember learning from uh, uh, many of these different stadium employees. They would come out and go, you're going to get us sued. We have distribution companies that give that we have deals with. And if we have any other kind of food being handed out here, we can be in breach of contract. You have to leave. So we would be chased away. And this happened time and time again. Now, there were times where we'd pull up to a stadium and we were able to pass out. Uh, nobody said anything to us. And we were able to do it uh, before the game and after the game. Now, there was no reason to really pass anything out during the game. So what Mike and I would do is buy a ticket and go into the game. So I got to see quite a few. And even after we were like shut down many of those times, well, what are we going to do? Uh, they, they just screamed at us. They said, we can't go. We can't pass out samples. We have to shut everything down. We would go park the vehicles and we'd walk back or whatever. And we would buy a ticket and go. That way we could see a game in uh, all these different ballparks. So I ended up watching Major League Baseball games in uh, nearly, <laughs> boy, I would th I think all Major League Baseball stadiums except for like six. And now that list is probably um, to like 10 or 12 because of uh, new stadiums. 
Like I got to, you know, I, I saw a game in Cincinnati, but that stadium no longer is standing. There's a new one, and I have yet to see a game there, that kind of thing. So uh, pretty lucky, you know, that I got to go to these all these games and um, and watch some good baseball, see a lot of great uh, players, and experience all those great stadiums. But the job itself turned out to be a total joke. It was ridiculous. We couldn't get our job done because I really do blame my my supervisors for this. They didn't think it through. They didn't get permission. And I am still pretty annoyed that they put us in that situation. What we should have done, and this would have been completely immoral and unethical and um, everything, what we should have done, because we carried this out. We carried the, the project through the whole summer, driving from city to city to city. Our first leg was the, the whole West Coast, and then came back to uh, St. Louis in the middle of the summer. The All-Star game that year was in Seattle, so we stopped in Seattle. Or, you know, we spent a week in Seattle, and we were able to pass out there because we were part of, uh, you, know, you know what? We weren't. We had to, like, secretly do it. This was all such horse crap. I, man, uh, it was just an awful, like, I was really lucky in that I got to go all these places and uh, see all this stuff, but it was also a total, like, we were kind of living in fear a lot of the times because we didn't know uh, when we when we were going to get in trouble and how much trouble we were going to get into for trying to do our jobs. So anyway, we had this long West Coast. After the All-Star break, we then went to the East Coast, and we did uh, the whole East Coast and stuff like that. So what I'm saying, uh, what, what I was trying to say here is what we should have done was abandoned that moving truck filled with all the samples and, and just said we were doing it, uh, and uh, Mike and I should have taken the Suburban around the country and just gone to all those baseball games because we couldn't get it done anyway. So I, I should have just been calling my boss going, yeah, it's going great, and dumping those samples into a river somewhere. <laughs> because what would happen is when we started, and my gosh, if people at General Mills and or Rawlings heard this, they would be unhappy. But I'm telling you, this is the position that they put us, not that General Mills put us in. I think that in some ways they were fed a line. But Rawlings put us in this position because they didn't, they, they, they started a program that they had no idea if they could do or not. They, um, uh, I, I should have been calling and saying, uh, yeah, it, it's going, I mean, man. Sorry, I just got so uh, bent out of shape that I forgot my point. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> we should have. Oh, oh, here's what, here was my point. What, what started happening was the stadiums where we weren't getting yelled at and chased away, we started giving people boxes of these things. So instead of giving a samp, one bag to one person, we were opening up the back of that moving truck because we also were going to get a bonus if we passed all these things out. Not only were we going to get a bonus, Rawlings was going to get some kind of, they were going to get more money from the co-op from General Mills, I was told. So, and we, and Mike and I were going to get a bonus if we did. We would give a box to a person. So in a box, no less than 250 tiny bags of Gardettos or uh, 100 little boxes of Wheaties Energy Crunch. So we'd go here, take a case. We were just handing cases to people. And uh, was that 
did we do a good job? No, technically no. But was it what we were sort of uh, put in a position to do? I would argue yes. Shy of throwing all that stuff into a ditch or off a cliff or something. Total pain. So were there good times? Of course. Mike and I would go to, uh, uh, you know, we would sightsee on our days off. We would go to cool restaurants. We would go to concerts and movies and bars. And uh, we did have some laughs. We There were days where we hated each other. I think there were more days where he hated me than I hated him. <laughs> because I took it a little, like, I, well, you can hear it in my voice now. I'm getting bent out of shape just talking about it. Think of how I was when I was actually in the position. I mean, I was more bent out of shape. So I wasn't always the happiest guy to be around. But we did have some laughs. Not enough, though, because I haven't talked to the guy since we stopped, since this job stopped. <laughs> so since like the winter of 2001 or whatever, we never, <laughs> we never spoke again. But uh, I hope he's doing well. I, he was a good dude. He was really funny. And he introduced me to a lot of some of my favorite music, Modest Mouse and Built to Spill and uh, a lot of punk bands um, that I really like bouncing souls and stuff like that. I really love. He he was the one who introduced me to them. So uh, I, uh, yeah, we did have we did have some good some really good times, but we also had some terrible terrible times. One trip in particular was really really rough. So at the time, I also had a girlfriend. She worked at Rawlings, and uh, we were boy. I think it is safe to say that we we were in love and we were talking like um, about how we were going to spend the rest of our lives together, that kind of thing. And uh, she was, boy, nine years older than me, eight years older. So I was, boy, 2001, I would have been 22. No, no, no. 23. I was 23. And she was uh, 29. So, okay, so it was six years difference. She was 29 and then 30 and whatever. whatever. Well, yes, yes, Josh, that's how aging works. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> uh, so she was a little older, but, man, we really dug each other. And uh, uh, I was, you know, missing her and stuff like that. After the All-Star break for in Seattle, we had to go back to St. Louis to reload the moving truck. And then start our East Coast tour. So let's say, I don't have the specific dates correct here, but let's say the last day that we were in Seattle for All-Star Week was um, July 15th. Well, we had to be in like Cleveland or something July uh, 19th. So I had four days off essentially. But what that meant was I had four days to drive from Seattle to St. Louis to, to Cleveland. So I was going to have, I kind of did the math in my head or whatever. If I drove 12 hours a day, I would it would take me three days to get to St. Louis because it was 36 hours from, from Seattle to St. Louis. So if I drove 12 hours a day, again, in a giant moving manual moving truck with a governor of 55 miles per hour, <laughs> I could do it. I could do it. And and it was get to spend a little bit. I get to spend a night with my girlfriend before I had to leave the next day for another, uh, you know, eight weeks or whatever. So 
I did it. I drove from Seattle uh, the first day, 12 hours, and it was hard, but also really beautiful. I got to drive through, uh, like, uh, Montana and Wyoming and uh, all these other, those three days, I saw some beautiful, beautiful parts of the country. Now, some of it was scary because there are some uh, mountainous areas and really hilly roads, and in that moving truck, it wasn't always fun, And uh, but... Man, just gorgeous country. So on day three, I'm uh, heading, I'm going through Nebraska. And I'm I'm going through uh, uh, Iowa. So I go through Omaha and like uh, uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa, and then I, I'm driving. Finally, I get to Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm four hours away from St. Louis, and I'm four hours from seeing my girlfriend, who I love, who I haven't seen in weeks, and we're gonna spend the night together, and and, and uh, get to. Uh, see each other in the morning, and, and man, oh man, just so excited to be back with her. She was like one of my, fa- I mean, we just, we really, we were really into each other and um, uh, laughed a lot and, and had a lot of same interests and all this stuff. So I'm driving through Kansas City and the truck breaks down. The truck breaks down uh, in the evening of that third day. I'm supposed to be... Uh, had the truck not broken down, I would have been back in St. Louis for dinner, essentially. So I guess it was really early afternoon. It was early afternoon that it broke down in Kansas City. And um, I was going to be there for dinner, and I think she was make, she was a good cook, and so she was like making something we both loved and uh, whatever. So the truck breaks down on the side of the road, and I call uh, <laughs> a, a, a company, some mechanics or whatever, and they tell me, it's going to be a while, but they're going to come out and get me. Well, it took them four hours. <laughs> it took them four hours uh, to uh, come come get me. Uh, it took me the amount of time it would have taken me to get to St. Louis. So when they showed up, I should I I would have been in St. Louis already. So they show up and look at the truck, and it comes to find out. I ran out of gas. Well, how did you not know you ran out of gas? Well, (laughs) what happened was, I think I explained in an earlier podcast, that this moving truck had dual tanks. There was a diesel tank on either side, so underneath the the driver's side and underneath the passenger side. Something happened to where the first tank emptied, so the reserve tank should have taken over. They sh- it, gas should have started being taken from that. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't being taken from that. So I didn't technically run out of gas. There was some problem with the two tanks. And uh, so what I had to do, they had to fill, they had to give me a little bit of gas. Um, and, it, man, it took a lot. Like, it, it took a lot of work to, to fire that baby up after running out of gas. <laughs> And uh, then I had to go like a mile down the road to a truck stop and, and, and fill up the rest of the way. So that, it was just like, my God. So finally I get to like, I get to St. Louis at like 10. It's way late. She has to work the next day. And um, we get to spend a couple hours, you know, waking hours. I'm beat. I, I had just driven 36 hours. Uh, 40, if you count the breakdown. Um in three days, and uh, was exhausted, mentally and physically. 
But I remember we had a nice night, and then, uh, then you know, the next day I got I saw her at work, and I had to leave again. So then we did the East Coast part of the tour, and we met with just as much uh, prompt with just as many problems as we did on the West Coast. The stadiums didn't want us there. We couldn't be there. We were we we couldn't. What what were we going to do with all these samples? Give them to as give cases away to anybody who would take them. That's what we did. <laughs> also, what we would do, and again, not proud of this, but this is what we did. We would uh, unload a truck. So let's say we'd pull up to a stadium or whatever. We would unload oh uh, twenty cases of samples. Uh, and uh, set them by the Suburban, and then people would come by, and we would hand out the samples from those cases. Whatever we didn't pass out, let's say we only passed out five cases total, and we still had 15 cases there. We just left. <laughs> we didn't put them back in the truck and leave. We said, see ya, and took off. So uh, many of those either were taken by somebody else or thrown away or left to uh, uh, disintegrate in the rain. Who Who knows? Not proud of it, but felt like, at the time, felt like I was justified because of the situation. Now I know what I should have done was told my supervisors very, very early, like way earlier on, hey, this isn't working. We are coming home. That, that kind of thing. I, I, we, I, that's what I should have done. We're bringing all this back. Ship it back to General Mills. This isn't going to happen. You guys had your heads up your asses when you conceived this idea, and uh, we're not doing it. But I wanted to work for Rawlings, you know, and we were young in our 20s seeing the country. So, uh, yeah, not proud of everything that was done on that trip, but particularly not proud of the job we were given. Now, one, uh, a, a couple interesting things did happen. Um, out there on the road. Uh, one in particular was we were boy. We went to New York City, and uh, we were uh, to go to uh, see the Mets and the Yankees, and that meant that I had to drive this gigantic truck uh through New York City and. Uh, Boy, was that exciting. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you've ever driven a car in New York, you know how difficult it is. Uh, so driving this truck and trying to find a place to park it, uh, impossible. I mean, just near, nearly impossible. But what I soon realized was that when you're in a truck in New York City, you just drive and Everyone else needs to just get out of your way. <laughs> so I just drove. I just uh, now I remember uh, in particular what we were leaving New York City. And man, I don't remember honestly how it went. I don't remember if we were able to pass out. Uh, I think we did OK. Like we were able to pass stuff out at the Mets, but not the Yankees, something like that. I uh, who knows? So we <laughs> we decide we're we're done with New York City. Of course, we have to leave, and uh, it was kind of one of our last stops, um, anyway, on that East Coast tour. And so uh, we uh, are leaving, 
And as I'm on one of the main interstates going through New York, this 18-wheeler is a little too in my lane as he's trying to pass me. He's coming up from behind, and he's flying, and he knocks my driver's side mirror off. I mean, his I don't know if his mirror hit my mirror or whatever, but it scared the hell out of me. The mirror comes flying off, and it was really loud and just scary. And I went, oh, my God. And uh, I remember looking out the window go, oh, that, the mirror's gone. The mirror is now gone. And my, my gosh, that could have been terrible if he had been another inch or so closer. We may have, uh, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? And so uh, I was, you know, nervous and scared. And then I saw, I drove a little bit more, and I saw the city. I saw, like, almost all of New York City. And it was uh, beautiful. It was at night, and everything was lit up. And for a long time, and obviously I'm looking at the road, and I'm still nervous and stuff. But when I can, I, I'm glancing, and I'm just in awe at uh, the uh, the skyline and some of the architecture. Um, and I'm looking for the Chrysler building because uh, I, this may seem like a weird thing to say, but it's my favorite building. I, I think the architecture and the style and the design of the Chrysler building is uh, just stunning. And so I always like to keep an eye out for that. And then I see uh, the World Trade Center, and I'm just my gosh. What a marvel of engineering and and the, 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 uh, just how what those represent and how incredible they are. And I and I remember going, oh yeah, th- those those towers. I was in at the top of one of those towers when my show choir in high school visited New York and performed in New York City. Um, we went to the top of the World Trade Center, and I remember I was having memories of uh, l- looking out the windows at the top of it and, and the elevator ride up and laughing with friends and you know that and and some of the some of my friends being nervous to get close to the window and and then also standing at the bottom of the World Trade Center and leaning against it with my back up to it and then tilting my head up and staring all the way up at it. I'm just going, my goodness, those buildings are incredible. And that night, as I was uh, admiring the, the Twin Towers, was September 9th, 2011. And by the night of September 10th, I was back in St. Louis at my girlfriend's house. And uh, I got to spend the night there with her. And the next morning, we woke up and uh, um, had, a, had, a, had a very nice morning. She, was, she, she got ready for work, and she headed into work. And I was headed to go see my dad, who lived, oh, um, oh, you know what? No, I wasn't. I apologize. I was headed home to my apartment. Um. And so uh, this was about 7.20 a.m. on September 11th, uh, 2001. I I believe I I may have said 2011 earlier. It was uh, September 9th, 2001 that I was driving through New York City. And so um, on September 11th, 2001, I left my girlfriend's house. and, And being the giant fan of the show that I was and am, I turned on Bob and Tom. They were on Casey in St. Louis. And I'm listening, and I remember distinctly Tom uh, saying, hey, we've got a report here about a small uh, biplane or uh, some kind of small passenger having hit the World Trade Center. Um, A small, I I can't remember if they said personal aircraft or small passenger plane or something, but it was before anybody really had the full 
news. And um, I was saying, oh, my gosh, that's weird. Uh, and then, you know, they kind of continued on with the show. And then uh, either Tom or Bob said, well, uh, some, some, some more news here. A, a, a second plane has hit the second tower, the, the other World Trade Center tower. And uh, things were obviously more, it became very clear that this was much, this was very serious and a planned attack. So I went, oh my goodness, and I uh, altered my, my girlfriend lived fairly close to the house I grew up in where my dad still lived. So instead of going home, I wanted to see what was going on. So I went to my dad's and he was still asleep and I turned the TV on and uh, was watching the news and my gosh, there they were, the, the two towers smoking, you, you know, we'll never, well, we all remember those black plumes coming from the tops of the towers and, and uh, I woke my dad up. I said, dad. We're under a, there's a terrorist attack. America's being attacked. And he said, what? And he got up and, and then for the rest of the morning, we watched the, the news together. And I mean, we're heartbroken. We, we watched everything. And I, and I, uh, I, I remember watching uh, Wolf Blitzer at the top of a building and the Twin Towers were in the back. And I, man, oh man. I mean, my dad and I watched them fall. And uh, first, obviously, the first one and then the second. And we watched people in the streets covered in soot. And, uh, well, I don't need to get into uh, too many specifics because we, you know, for the most part, we all remember it. Um, if you're if you're too young to remember it, you've certainly seen images and footage from that day. And it it occurred to me, Mike, I, I was there. I was there two days ago. And... Um, uh, I, I was just looking at those and, and admiring them and in awe of them, and now they are gone. And and I, obviously I'm not just talking about the buildings themselves. You know, uh, uh, the buildings in the scheme of things, oh boy, uh, some concrete really doesn't matter. But uh, uh, man, oh man, I mean, it was just... And my dad had to go, I also remember, he had to go pick up a prescription from the grocery store, and he needed it. And so we left at around, uh, well, I don't know, we left and we were listening to Bob and Tom again, who, I I tell you what, I've heard that they received a a, a lot of praise for how they handled that morning. And I got to tell you, it it was masterful, masterful how they, they did it how uh, they were able to, just the professionalism and the care that Bob and Tom and and every, and, and the whole crew and everybody took to uh, stay with everybody during that time and to explain what was happening. And, and uh, just, just an incredible, incredible journalism and, and radio. And man, oh man, they, they really did a fine, fine job. And we, my dad and I got to the grocery store and we walked in, and it was surreal. First off, it was nearly empty, and the folks that were in there were very, very pensive and uh, quiet, and everybody was sort of just shuffling around, getting what they were there for, but, um, man, eerie, eerie. So I dropped my dad back off at, at the house and spent a little time with him. I mean, this is a man that 
you know, uh, fought for his country in Vietnam and and to, uh, certainly knows uh, knew a lot about sacrifice and um, uh, was also very, uh, you know, he wasn't a pacifist at the end of his life, but he was certainly like, hey, there are probably better ways than war to tr- try to figure some things out, stuff like that, because he had seen the horse. So he was affected, of course, and I was affected as well, and then I was affected by him being affected, and, uh, you know. So anyway, I drop him off, and I go back to my apartment, and I I don't know what I did. I think I, I prepared for uh, – we still had more uh, places to go on the disaster sample tour that <laughs> I was on, and um, – so I, was, I may have been doing laundry or packing or something. But that night, I was going back to my girlfriend's house. And the whole day of emotion and, uh, and, 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 and horror and everything, because if you remember, we didn't know when it was going to stop. The towers are hit. The Pentagon's hit. There's a plane crash uh, in uh, Pennsylvania. I mean, and there was a lot of speculation about other things going happening that day. Where's the next one going to be? Oh, something exploded in here. Oh, no, that turned out to be a different incident. That kind of, I mean, it was, we just didn't know. There was a lot of fear and a lot of sadness going on. And um, I, I, so I'm heading back to my girlfriend's house around five or six o'clock for dinner. And I, I, I'll never forget driving by a gas station. And there were no less a gas station. That normally you would look and uh, never see every pump full. It was, there was always two or three cars getting gas at one time uh, at like a 10-pump station. Well, this station, every pump was full, and there was a line uh, of cars waiting to get gas 30 deep, 40 deep. And I looked, and gas was $5 a gallon when the that morning earlier, it was a dollar something or two, you know, um, because all of a sudden there was fear that, okay, we're going to go to war with whoever did this to us. Gas prices are going to be affected. And so some gas, some, some price gouging went on and people thought, well, I better get gas now when it's $5 a gallon before it's $20 a gallon. And I started sobbing because all of it, the whole day, the weight of the day and the real world ramifications came crashing down uh, on top of me. And I just bawled at uh, my gosh, we live, we now live in a new world and um, uh, got home. And then my girlfriend got home and we cried together and, and, and we were just stunned and uh, uh, please don't be mistaken in that I was not crying about things like gas prices and stuff like that. It was just that moment that really brought it all just came. It all just hit me. I, I was I, I think throughout the day I'd been trying to numb myself kind of or something, you know, uh, you're just sort of in disbelief. And then when you see when I saw that many people in line to get gas, it went, oh, my God, we're all affected in some way or another. This is. This is just a new a new world. So, um, tough, tough, tough. Uh, yeah, boy. I mean, that's that's an understatement. Um, so, you know, after that, uh, things did change for us. 
we uh, were not, and, and rightfully so, we couldn't just drive this truck around in the suburban around and pull up wherever we wanted and, and open boxes and start throwing things around, you know? Uh, we had to uh, change our game plan because we still had a lot of samples left. So we uh, started going to... I talked to my supervisors, and we we got actual permission to go to some state fairs and county fairs and uh, baseball tournaments that weren't affiliated with any big any big uh, entity like MLB or NCAA or anything like that, and try to pass out the rest of these samples. And uh, also having giving some cases to family and friends. We did it. We got rid of every... We didn't do it in the way that we were meant to, and we didn't always do it in the most um, appropriate way. But we didn't throw any in a river or a lake. Uh, we did We did give away a lot of boxes to people. But we ended up getting rid of uh, all of the samples and... That was the last time that anything like that was In fact, the guy who conceived of that idea uh, the next year didn't even work at Rawlings. <laughs> I don't know why he left or was fired. Or I have no idea. But uh, he, wasn't, he was not there for much longer at all. And neither was Mike. But I stuck around. And I ended up working on and off for Rawlings Sporting Goods for like 15 years uh, in different capacities. And I'll tell you about those other capacities and some other Rawlings adventures down the road. But that was my first, um, yeah, the first uh, sort of leg of my career with Rawlings Sporting Goods. Uh, All right. You know, there was another quick story when I worked in the mailroom that I'll just tell you right now that got me into a little in a little bit of trouble. Before that whole road thing, I was in the mailroom, and on uh, Halloween, we were told we could dress up in costume. So I thought it would be funny <laughs> if I dressed up, as, because I was sort of the errand boy or whatever um, uh, of the office building, which I like being, but uh, I thought it would be funny if I dressed up in a French maid's out- outfit. So I did. Showed up in uh, this this very sexy French maid costume <laughs> and worked all day, and... Uh, yeah, of course it got some laughs, and you can actually see this photo on my Instagram. That Josh Arnold, um, you'll have to scan, you'll have to scroll a little bit to see it, but it's there. And uh, boy, oh boy! But I did get a, a talking to, but hey, that that really wasn't the most appropriate thing for you to do. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see here what to work on this week. Well, will you look at that? It's, uh... <laughs> it's some uh, General Mills employees walking down the street and... Hey, what is that they say? As they point to 12 cases of their product <laughs> abandoned in the rain. Oh, man. I don't have anything uh, written out for what to work on this week. Should I make something up on the spot, or should uh, we give ourselves a break this week? What do you think? Huh? (laughs) You know what? I do have something. It was something I was thinking about today. 
and uh, it's minor, okay? But it's gonna have it. It's, it has major benefits, especially this time of year. Drink more water. All right. It may sound like I'm pulling this out of my rear end. I'm not. It's on my mind a lot. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm kind of pulling it out of my rear. Drink more water. And do this. Chris, what, what's the guy's name? Chris Pratt. Um, I, I was recently quoted. Uh, well, he, he recently talked about this. And this is something I've done for like the last couple of years. Um, primarily for my voice. And he he does this too now, and he said it's it it just changed his life, and I agree. When you first wake up, drink as much water as you can until you think you might get sick. <laughs> now I would do it because um, I was going to go on the air soon, so I would wake up, and uh, I always have a, a, a water bottle. Uh, like this water bottle thing I have or just a big, big plastic cup of water near my bed. So I would chug that, take a shower. It was like a good, it was at least 24 ounces or whatever of water. Take a shower, go downstairs, chug another one of those and then get to work and chug uh, a bottle of water. I mean, and just drink the whole thing. So by the time that I was hitting the airwaves at six, I just wanted to make sure I was lubricated and, you know, all that stuff. Um, I would have already had, boy, like 40 plus ounces, if if not uh, closer to 50 or 60, you know. So, and what I also found out though was like my body loved it. It loved it. So, and, and Pratt recently said that his, he started doing it and his body loved it. And you've seen his body. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to take somebody's word for it, go with Pratt's when it comes to, uh, <laughs> uh, the body stuff, but uh, also take my word. I, 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 I could think clearer and everything. Water is just, it, we take it for granted and uh, man, go ahead. This week, drink more water, stay hydrated, and uh, do not forget that when you're drinking water, you need, bye!